WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day with our friends from the Match Club podcast. Please welcome Charlie Davis and Mikey Z. What's up, friends? Hello. Hello. Not much. It's cold, but you know, it that's is cold. it. <laughs> it is, it's February 1st. It's, it's supposed to be. Yeah. 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 I'd it, be it's... concerned if it was not. Let's put it that way. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what um, Pogsatani Phil has for us tomorrow. Oh, gosh. I forgot about Groundhog. <laughs> no, my dad's like going around reminding us it's Groundhog's Day. It's Groundhog's Day tomorrow. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, they, they have now made a Phil Connors and Punxsutawney Phil Funko Pop. And I'm like, oh, I haven't been buying Funko Pops, but that's kind of tempting. <laughs> I, you need the, the Stephen Tobolowski Funko Pop, though? <laughs> yes. Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Ned, need lose that. Bam. <laughs> Although, I, if I got Phil and Punxsutawney Phil, they could hang out with Squirrel Girl and Tippy Toe that I have. It's true. See, Phil call, um Phil, Phil, Con- <laughs> Phil Connors, also that. Phil Connors didn't ping to me immediately as the guy from Groundhog's Day. And I'm like, is that Doc Connors' first name? And so I'm thinking about <laughs> just uh, like... A groundhog that turns into a lizard. <laughs> he doesn't want to cure cancer. He just wants to turn groundhogs into lizards. lizards. <laughs> so that's that's where my brain is at on this Monday. Well, now I just wish we had individual art for every episode because that's it. That's the t-shirt. Right there. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, let, let's start with the most pressing issue before we get into the meat of the matter. How was your Royal Rumble? It, but I saw all of the Royal Rumble. Uh, Mikey came in halfway, in? halfway Not through it, the women's, ha- halfway through the women's Rumble. So mm-hmm. now there, since 2018, there are two Rumbles um, per pay per view. There's a women's and there's a men's. Mm-hmm. Desperately needed. Um, this entire card was really good, and I was worried about it because this is the first Royal Rumble without a crowd. Because mm-hmm. last year's Royal Rumble was right, like right before yeah. all this happened, so there was still it was still in a huge, uh, huge baseball stadium. Like mm-hmm. it was, you know, the fanfare of the Royal Rumble. So I was kind of worried that it wasn't going to have the punch it usually has. But no, the Royal Rumble is still the best pay per view any company puts on because the Royal Rumble is the best match anybody puts on. Um, so it was great. Um, there are some things. I, there was like a couple things that I was just like, uh, why is this happening? But that's wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Roman Reigns accidentally got uh, stuck in handcuffs. He wasn't supposed to get stuck in for too long. Um, so there was a bit of a botch going on there. Um, yeah. But the two Rumble matches, the women's Rumble match was like incredible. Like it was the, probably the best like women's Rumble match they had. Um, and someone really well-deserving won it. Um, and then the men's Rumble, um, it was it wasn't as good as the ladies but it was still like a very comfortable like no crazy could... surprises nothing bad happened um an edge one you know you know edge yeah one. i was gonna say we can probably say who won by the, yeah <laughs> by the time this podcast comes out it like won't be like a huge spoiler everyone no. that wants to watch will have a chance um bianco belair won the women's rumble who's kind of i mean she's been with the company a little while but she's kind of like an up-and-coming star still she's not like at the top 
echelon of like what people would say like this is the top wwe women superstar um and i think like this time last year she was she got pretty snubbed for like a top position and a pay-per-view that people thought should have been hers so seeing her win was really incredible there was a great spot she has a really really long braid like that's one of her things and so there somebody like fell down and they were like trying to pull themselves up by um the braid so they didn't their feet didn't touch the ground and that was really fun and really creative so uh Yeah. yeah i didn't enjoy the men's rumble as much it was still okay, but there, it was less consistently high energy and more like dips and lulls in it than than the women's rumble. Yeah, there weren't. Um, there were like sixteen surprise. There was like sixteen entrants in the ladies' rumble that we didn't know who they were. So like every time someone came out, basically it was like, oh, what? Who's coming out? Um, and then there were only nine spots that were not taken in the men's rumble um but the men's rumble did have feature of the only spot of the night that made me cry so uh edge um edge came back last year from retirement when they thought he never would wrestle again um, and he came back to the royal rumble he's his his neck's good now he's okay um and last night christian his tag team partner edge and wow. christian christian came back and they had this moment in the ring that was like apropos to the episode like edge it looked like Edge didn't know. Like, it looked like Edge didn't have any yeah. idea that, like, Christian was going to come out. And, like, his face, it just, like, lit up. Like, it was, like, very emotional. And they got in the... Christian got in the ring and they, they did a big hug. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> it made me tear up a little bit. Because that's yeah. wrestling. It was, it was really good. It was a really good moment. Like, even me that doesn't have you know some of the same connection like I didn't watch when I was real little or anything or even when I was much younger but you know like I know who Edge is I know who Christian is and you know you would the thing is like they when it works it works right like when emotion is conveyed well like that's one thing about wrestling that's probably unique to the medium is like you are seeing the people's reactions in front of you like, sure, they're maybe acting a little bit or over-exaggerating, but for the most part, you know, this is happening live. They might have rehearsed some spots, but it's not like you're seeing, um, like, take after take after take that's then, like, cut together like you are in a film or TV. Yep. So it was good, Dan. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. <laughs> um, so, so Mikey, I've, I've mentioned this to Charlie uh, before on a, a previous podcast, but my, my wrestling knowledge got, runs pretty much from 1999 to 2002, and then the 1985 Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestlers cartoon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, reading recaps online this morning to prepare for this episode, I, it, it is amazing to me how many people are still in the ring from when I was watching 20 years ago, because, you know, I'm seeing Goldberg, I'm seeing Randy Orton, who I think had just started in WWE, like when I was leaving, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw the reunion between Christian and money plane star edge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was King's Haven yeah. <laughs> on the sci-fi God. channel. Yeah, he was true. a regular It's true. Yeah. and was, was the Adam smasher in flash. True. I did not know that. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 
my my initial instinct, and, and and I'm certainly open to being wrong on this, especially when you just talk so fondly about seeing them reunite, was that WWE had you know kind of a similar problem that we've seen in let's say Marvel, where where a lot of your old heads too often can drown out younger talent to appease an aging fandom. Yeah, I think yeah. WWE, especially as someone that's coming into it new, mm-hmm. um, where. I'm maybe supposed to expect it to have a level of familiarity with these characters for lack of a better term than I mm-hmm. actually do. I definitely get that impression. And, you know, even to the detriment with something like undertaker, it's like supposedly, so he supposedly retired mm-hmm. um, very recently. They had something that for me as a new fan mm-hmm. was very cheesy and like i understood the gravitas of it but it just did not land for me at all like they had him walk out in the ring to his music there was like a hologram of paul bearer who was his former manager Mm -hmm. and then he just kind of kneeled and then it like walked back out and i'm like i don't get it (laughs) you know so it's like for the people that needed that like i'm glad they got that emotional um closure from Mm -hmm. that moment but for me it just did not provide anything it was just the end of a pay-per-view and then they cut immediately when you're watching on the wwe network they cut to stone cold sessions um (laughs) where he's like talking with uh the undertaker's talking with stone cold steve austin about uh selling his new undertaker branded wine and it's just like it's such a (laughs) it's such a uh yeah you know, cognitive moment of cognitive dissonance and a weird tonal shift then. Um, And it's, you know, I have not like he's has good moments in the ring, but for me, the politics of the undertaker are inextricable from the character. Mm -hmm. So like, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult for me to have that fondness anyway. So it's just like, this is just so weird. Um, No, you're right, Dan though. It's like, like comics and wrestling are mediums that are, in my opinion, extremely tied together. The problems that you see in comics are the same problems that you see in wrestling at large. Mostly I say WWE because everybody knows um, the old wrestlers. And normally, maybe I'd be irritated about Edge winning the Rumble and taking that spot from another guy. Like, Mm -hmm. who deserves it? But WWE also has this issue where they hoover up all the talent because now there's a comp there's competition. So they right. take all the talent. So even if they don't intend on using them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the roster is so stacked. And that was a problem with the men's rumble. There were so many guys and you just kind of saw how the companies flattened them out be- mm-hmm. because they're just, like the stars, the people that seem like stars are the older guys because mm-hmm. you know them, like you've gotten to know them. They've had these like long careers. Um, same with comics. Like, I know that, like, he's getting an opportunity again. Why is he getting an opportunity again? Why can't somebody new get an opportunity? Oh, because that person who gets the new opportunity, people don't buy that person's comics because they're not name rec. It's the same problem. It's literally the same problem. And we're in kind of a weird position, too, where a lot of the people that grew up watching during the Attitude Era and stuff, the Mm -hmm. guys that were wrestling there are just young enough to still be able to wrestle. Mm-hmm. we're going to be losing that time. We're going to be ending that time period in like, you know, the next five years, probably. Yeah. I don't, 
I honestly would be shocked if Randy Orton wrestles another five years. I would be really surprised if Edge wrestles another five years. You know, just because unlike comics, you can't recycle these characters. You know, eventually... Someone else can't be Edge. Yeah. (laughs) They tried that. Someone could theoretically be the Undertaker, but it just it would just be so weird because the the thing is like these characters are tied so closely to who the people are and their personalities um, because you know and a lot of times they created them or at least created elements of them mm-hmm. and it would be so weird to like copy paste that onto someone else um, like there's only a few they instances they where that. there's I know. But, like, there have been a couple instances in, um, like, masked wrestling where they've passed the mask on to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that has been successful. But when you have a non-masked wrestler, it'd be really weird um, to do that. So, so, yeah, it's... It's in a weird period. But then, like, CM Punk isn't wrestling anymore. He's done with wrestling. But now he's going to be on a TV show on Stars with Stephen Amell where they're just going to be acting out wrestling. Yeah. Stephen Amell, who also, by the way, owns a vineyard and has branded wines. Yes. And that's where they get – that's Chris Jericho's branded a little bit of the bubbly comes from Stephen Amell's vineyard. (laughs) It's all connected. It's all and connected. then Christ- Christopher so, Daniels, the fallen angel, wrote an X Men comic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so CXF wine tasting with all of these weird branded <laughs> yes, wines. Yes. I am not buying the Undertaker's wine. <laughs> no. I don't Someone want. Buy I don't want us to yeah. spend pay- the, the Patreon money on the Undertaker's <laughs> oh, yeah, wine. No, 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 no. And in all fairness, I don't drink, so I'm yeah. you know basically throwing other people under the bus. <laughs> yeah. But but. What if Stone Cold tried to shotgun the Undertaker's wine? Stone Cold has his own beer to shotgun, so why is he going to drink the Undertaker's wine? Fair. <laughs> Just like a visual. <laughs> All of this to say, um, you like Comics your and wrestling are the same. Yeah. Comics and wrestling are the same. That's yes, what exactly. <sighs> and, and to segue even further, one of the individuals that we're going to be talking about a little bit actually started wrestling because he wanted to become both a Ninja Turtle and a hockey player, but you can't do both of them. So he became a wrestler instead. Yeah. I suppose I mean, Casey Jones could be Casey exposed Jones. to mutagen <laughs> after yes. one of the turtles and become yes. a hockey stick wielding Ninja Turtle. Correct. No, we I honestly think we just, we, we just said the same thing. <laughs> We're, I, I've said to Charlie before, I think um, Kenny Omega would make an excellent Casey Jones if they make another Ninja Turtles movie. But but he'd be taken away from Stephen Amell and we're going back in a circle. Stephen Amell and Kenny Omega could wrestle uh, for the right to play Casey Jones. That's <laughs> clear here. <Bang. laughs> there you go. Uh, the winner gets their own branded one. But... Uh... <laughs> All, all rumbling aside, uh, we, we asked you two here for this particular episode uh, because you got engaged over the holidays. And first of all, congratulations. And it's amazing. Thank you. We're so happy for you. Thank you very much. I, um, <laughs> um, it was, um, uh, I, I have to give Mikey his ring still. Does this count as our official engagement announcement? Because yeah, we were be. going to announce on Twitter and then the ring didn't get here. <laughs> When we were planning to do it, so instead it'll be happening over Valentine's Day, which isn't the worst thing, because that's also our original anniversary of, like, officially being together, 
So, yeah. You picked a good um, date, Dan. So it's yeah. yeah. Thank you, but thank you, thank you for the congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's been a while. As, sta- as Stained would say, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of 1999 to 2002, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I thought it would be fun to give give you a space to to talk about uh, the couples, both in comics and in wrestling, since as we have already established, they are very uh, interconnected. Uh, that that have uh, you know, it inspired you or that you've, you've appreciated over the, over the years of the time that you've been together. Uh, now, I've been forewarned that Matt and I are about to learn about something called the Golden Lovers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll ease you into this one. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would be... Oh, <laughs> you go first. I was going to say, um, I, if, like, Mikey and I met um, when we, like, we met in the in not, not the weirdest of ways because the, the internet is a strange place but um, a weird six degrees of separation correct. let's say okay. um but we bonded over fandom stuff um so like when we first met we were both um doing assassin's creed stuff um so like it's Climbing kind of like tall towers and stabbing people yeah we were both doing yeah. that yeah exactly so can i just like i i do feel like i need to tell so uh i was looking on my last.fm i just gotten a twitter not that long ago so i was going through my last.fm friends which is like this dates me so much um it's like a music (laughs) cataloging site it's like letterboxed for music Mm -hmm. um that nobody uses anymore except (laughs) people that are like obsessed with having data uh like me So I was going through this friends list to try to see, like, are there people here that are worth reconnecting? And I saw this one friend that I hadn't spoken to in a while, and I searched the username on Twitter, and lo and behold, they were the same. So I reconnected, and he was like, hey, have you heard of Assassin's Creed 2? It has some characters in it that have, like, a really, like, very gay dynamic, even if they're not together in the text. And I'm like, no. So I spent my whole finals period where I should probably have been studying, but I was a freshman, so it was fine. Um, watching the, the like cutscenes on YouTube for this game. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. Cause it hadn't come out on PC yet. And then it was like, my best friend and I have just started this like Twitter community for Assassin's Creed 2. And I was like, okay. And that's, how charlie and i first started talking Mm -hmm. as wild as it sounds just complete coincidence yep i mean that's just the sort that's just how things go sometimes but i mean mikey and i did bond over uh me having a we had a twitter rp group um (laughs) my twitter rp had my my leonardo da vinci from assassin's creed 2 twitter had way more followers than i ever will have um but we became we like had this like group um a lot of us used to do like role play on live journal because there were communities for it um but we moved it to twitter because twitter seemed like the thing that was happening at the time it was like Mm -hmm. right when people were actually figuring out how they wanted to use twitter not just like i'm eating a salad and that's it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um so we kind of like moved it to that space and it became this big thing with like lots of people involved. And so I was, I, I was Leonardo da Vinci from the game and, and Mikey was um, a, like a um, 
<sighs> subject it's 16. like if Doug Ramsey got stuck in the Matrix. Matrix, yeah. Like, okay. yeah, subject 16, which was, like, basically the ghost, the ghost and the animus um, that was, like, basically an imprinted personality in, like, the technology that, like, the main character of the game like kept hearing and seeing um so mikey took on that role because he's very good at playing like ghosts and data that's just what yeah well and then you so then you also played like this researcher which i didn't know until recently um that they kind of had this like close relationship um so we kind of you know that kind of grew almost out of control it became its own thing and (laughs) You know, eventually we we decided, like, we had to pull back. Um, and then around that same time, X-Men First Class came out. And I had been a comics reader for a while. Because um, I started, like, right when I started college, actually, someone that I was role-playing with on LiveJournal was like, have you ever heard of Young Avengers? And so I had gotten really into Young Avengers. I read, regrettably... I read all of Civil War and its tie-ins within a 24-hour time span. I could never recommend anyone do that. That sounds like something somebody would do for a feature on comics uh, on the website. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's bad. Um, it's the comics equivalent of the milk challenge. I am sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was really dreadful because I was... And, and what's worse is I was trying to see if I could construct a timeline of the event that made any sort of sense because they kept pulling the young avengers into different tie-ins but there was never any like editorial consistency so i was like they're here but in this one book but then they're also like they're in deadpool but then they show up in this other weird one and then like you know kate bishop hawkeye and patriot are here for two panels like it just doesn't make any sense the answer is it never made any sense it's the astronaut meme um but so so i had been you know and from that point forward i kind of got sucked in and so i had been reading at this point i had like a poll list um at laughing ogre in fairfax virginia um, which was right across the street from my college um so i was reading pretty um you know at a pretty good clip um, and then X-Men First Class came out. And Charlie, I don't think you had ever read or like looked at a comic until I took you um, until like we went to, ironically, the Laughing Ogre in Columbus together. And I was like, this is Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, so X-Men First Class was kind of like a nice jumping on point because um, in the comics at the time that was post schism and right around the time Avengers versus X-Men was starting. Mm -hmm. So we were actually seeing like Charles Xavier was back walking, you know, for whatever read weird meta science reason that was. (laughs) And Mag and he and Magneto were talking and like spending time together because they were on good terms again. Mm -hmm. So it was like a nice piece of unity of like, oh, you know, they have this kind of homosocial relationship in X-Men First Class that, you know, we could kind of, like, ship. And there's also a similar dynamic happening in the comics right now. Yeah. And then so we, I, I started reading comics, like, right after AVX ended. Um, like I read the last two issues of AVX. Don't start there. I don't know why <laughs> I did it. Don't start no, there. No, it's not good. Um, 
but consequences was good yes how many times have we said on the show that the people who get the deepest into comics always start in the worst places possible? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I read the issue that my very first issue of comics was I read the issue of AVX. I think it's number nine where Scott kills Charles. And I was, yeah, I was like, because I was super into X-Men first class at that time, because like you have James McAvoy playing, Charles Xavier and Michael Fassbender playing Magneto and you're putting them in the movie together in this like way they have absurd chemistry like come on that's why the that's why they're the biggest like comics ship on AO3 just could stop um but well you were like fuck Scott Summers like he's awful how can he do this like who's this guy think remember I had no I had no context so I my I've changed over time um but because like then you read Avengers versus X Men Consequences, mm-hmm. and then it's like it lays everything out. It's actually maybe my favorite thing Karen Gillan has written because it lays like out how bad of a dad Charles Xavier is, and it's like, oh, this isn't the same Charles Xavier from the movie. Uncanny nineteen, the Passion of Scott Summers mm-hmm. remains one of my favorite X comics. Like full stop yeah and those avx consequences those avx consequences um book like the follow-up it's the one where like scott's in the in prison yeah that's like that i i if i had not read that comic next and it hadn't been the quality that it had been i like we might we might not be here today i don't want to pull back to the future but i'm just saying um thanks karen gillen um but it was that was like kind of sucked me into comics and then i started reading comics because Obviously, the Bendis books launched out of that, mm-hmm. and like Mickey and I got into reading comics like every week. Yeah, and- Young Avengers Volume Two came out, which you know was like an exciting jumping on point for a bit. Um, for at least before it first came out, I'm like, oh, like I can get you into Young Avengers because I don't want to like throw someone back. As much as I'm tempted to throw a bunch of stuff in front of someone, I know that's not the way to get somebody into something is just to like shower them and stuff. Cause then it's like the opportunity cost. It's just like, Oh, I have to watch and read all of these things and I have to see how they can like, that's really overwhelming. Yeah. So having a nice, neat jumping on point, even if you know, you don't know what to expect is. But that, but that book coming out nice. did make me go back and read all the young Avengers stuff that Mikey had already read. And we got really into Billy and Teddy, like Billy and Teddy were probably our first, like besides like, Magneto and Charles Xavier, like in in the bubble of first class, uh-huh. like which are there are a couple, but you know, it, it, there's optics. Um, but Billy and Teddy were probably the first um, characters, the canon couple, the canon couple that Mikey and I were really like into, and um, we read all that stuff. We read Young Avengers Volume Two. Didn't like it very much. Um, that's not a popular opinion, but it is the one Mikey and I share. We bonded over that. We were like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah. Um, it, the end of the book is brilliant. Lovely. Love. Gay love saves us all. That's a beautiful message. Yeah. Um, there's there's some issues with consent in the middle of it that um, are my main sticking points with the book, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prodigy has some issues he's got to work through. Yeah. But luckily we have some some wonderful writers you know currently handling him so yeah really looking forward to that um and so that like billy and teddy 
were really like it for a while um mm-hmm. for me and mikey so like i like how we're taking you through our relationship but it's very pertinent to um like comics it stuff like we like we did like we did a lot with those two like we just mm-hmm. um like they were like they were like what we like where mikey had already had like mikey had already had an affinity for teddy um for a lot of like very specific personal reasons and i was just like well i want in on this too and it was like something we bonded over um they finally got married this year or yeah. last year so yeah um for, for took took them forever um <laughs> but you know um so that was kind of like it for a while and oh Mikey and I have cycled through a lot of like that was a canon couple but I mean a lot of uh, obviously a lot of what we reach like a lot of what people have to reach for is subtext and like things like that so like Mikey and I have been around the bend with a lot of other things um well and then you also got as you started to branch out more in your own comics likes um you like started to listen to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men and then started to branch out in X-Men and then found Shatterstar and Richter, mm-hmm. like basically on your own, and like clomped onto them. Yeah, that was, and that was, that was a, that was a me specific thing that like I like, um, that I I kind of just like fell headlong into Rick and Star, and you both know like the story already <laughs> there. Um, but Mikey wasn't like like I like. I'm actually, uh, I have a lot of feelings about this. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it has a happy ending, so it's, don't worry. Sometimes, like being very into something with your significant other, sometimes isn't good. <laughs> like sometimes it, like, like when if you need to both like work on something or something needs to change or like you're trying to spend like because Mike and I've had a long distance relationship like ever since he got together um mm-hmm. so in order to like like kind of bond and like do stuff together like we did that like we would rp or write together and like that was our time we spent doing things centered around like these characters sometimes when you still have growing to do like inside and in your relationship doing that's not the best because you invest a lot of time in that and then when like life takes you away from being able to do those things it feels like oh this person doesn't want to spend time with me even though they're not just like they're here still but they're not doing the thing i we usually do together like so that we kind of we kind of made a mutual decision where like okay i'm gonna set that aside for a while like and work on the relationship part of this um well and we also like you know we we were still interested in similar things but i think that was around the time where i was getting kind of burnt out of comics like I had been reading for, you know, a long time and you still kind of had like that new, you still had energy left to give. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, my schedule was not, um, I think pretty shortly after I moved out. Um, Cause for a while I was working in the city so I could read comics on Wednesdays on my iPad while I commuted. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got moved to a new work site, I just didn't have the time on Wednesdays, like, going to pick up comics was a pain and then even making time to read them was like I'm like I just want to lay <laughs> down um so it was like you know I got really burnt out especially after I think after Secret Wars I was just like 
I just can't do this anymore. And I just like kind of <laughs> had to cut cold turkey. So like, you know, it became more working on the relationship, but also like it's, it was healthy. I think for at that point to kind of have those, some, those separate interests and yeah. kind of go find our own way and just like talk to each other. You know, I still love to hear about, you know, Shatterstar and Richter. I still feel like I read those books, um, you know, in a lot of ways, cause Charlie would tell me what, what he liked about them, you know? So I would, I would get to hear through like the best lens rather than, you know, have to read the stuff <laughs> that was maybe not as good. Yeah. And like that, like finding Rick and Star kind of like, it was kind of a personal journey for me with those two characters really figuring out a lot about me and like specifically and like the stuff I like in media or the things I like about characters because spoiler alert every character I've ever liked has a through line um it's not like it's no secret Mm -hmm. um but like kind of unpacking um messy relationships so ones that aren't um perfect um because a lot of the time when you have like characters like queer characters they have to be an idealized version of that like i love billy like i think kieran gillen was trying to do something good when he wanted to make billy and teddy's relationship less than ideal in the second volume of young avengers because he was trying to add some nuance to it instead of being like this is your ideal queer couple nothing bad ever happens to them they're in love forever like yeah and that's like the depth of characterization right like they're empty vessels and i think that's somewhat like why we glommed onto them is like they're kind of empty vessels for you to fill with your idea of like what that can be so you can add like oh, this one's maybe a little sad sometimes or feels like not, um, you know, Billy doesn't feel quite like he matches up. And none of that's in the text, but it's like from like what little characterization exists, you can kind of spin that out. Because that is the thing about Young Avengers, like none of like the original run, much as I love it, like there's not really time to develop any of those characters as individual characters. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of just exist as, you know, archetypes in a group whereas you know Shatterstar and Richter have had a longer publication history they started kind of as individual characters and you can speak to that more Charlie but they they have established personalities yeah and they grew together and it wasn't just like we met Billy and Teddy and they were already together like and they were in this group and they had their role in the group and then Billy became Wanda's son like ghost son basically like (laughs) like that is like and there's an interesting dynamic you can play with there um that they started to play with but like mikey said they were just like characters that you could like map yourself onto and be like this is this is mine this is Mm -hmm. me um because it's what happens to queer people a lot we do that a lot because we don't have a lot of like representation so i'm gonna take this and it's mine now because I said it is. Um, but Rick and Star, they were like, they grew together. And that was like a very interesting thing because they were still both very like brash on their own. But like knowing that those two people could come together and like love one another and like the themes of like just like not being perfect, but like finding somebody that you can be the best version of yourself with. Like even if that is 
and it's not a compromise. You're not making a compromise. You're not saying I'm changing for you or I'm doing this. Like I love all of it. And here it is like, no matter what that means. So that kind of like that, that's kind of crystallized in like them, which is why I really, really, really love their relationship. Um, man, I hope somebody tells Richter that Chatterstar's on Mojo World. <laughs> I think about that at least once a day. Um, when X Factor and Richter are in the same room together. <laughs> I blame the Morgan. The Morgan yeah. is holding it up. Yes, yes. Um, damn it. Um, but, you know, so I kind of went my own way for a while um, with comics. And Mikey didn't really read comics anymore. And that's fine because you both know comics can be exhausting. Like yep. keeping up could be exhausting um and it was you know everything was good like every every like mike and i love to do stuff together but it wasn't like focused on like one very specific thing because we were kind of we were like orbiting each other and like sharing all the things that mattered but like not but but not like collaborating on things. Obviously we made some cool stuff. I don't know, a cookbook maybe. Like Mikey yeah. and I made some cool, like we did some cool things. Well, and, and then in the kind of in between time, you shared things with me like Final Fantasy VII and Kingdom Hearts, which I never really got to. I didn't grow up having a game console. So I didn't grow up with those titles. Mm-hmm. Um, like my first game console technically if you can call it a console, is a Nintendo DS that I bought using my graduation money my senior year of high school. And, you know, like I've always just played games on the computer growing up and, you know, that limits your, like, yes, I technically could have played Final Fantasy VII, but if you would have told me Final Fantasy VII came out ported by Eidos to the PC, I would have, like, looked at you like you grew through heads. Like, that was just, you know, (laughs) like, that was a PlayStation game to me. So, you know, I got to play those for the first time. And so, like, we got to see, like, Zack and Cloud and Sephiroth. And, you know, Sora, we didn't get very far in Kingdom Hearts because the original Kingdom Hearts one is not not a very well-designed game in the year of our Lord. Um, I think it was, like, 2016 when I played. Um... And I, I just gave up. I gave up um, on that one. But, uh, you know, I, the characters in it were still really interesting. And I could see, like, that one I played with Charlie, like, watching. And I could see, like, why that was such a seminal thing for them. So, you know, that was, like, since I was kind of not as into comics, but, you know, when I needed to play games and stuff, that gave me an opportunity to kind of dig into those other wells where it's like oh like i can see why you like this like the characters are really cool um you know even if i'm not into playing the game like there's other ways to kind of get familiar with that so you know watching youtube videos reading wiki articles like reading fanfic like and then you know sharing those things and being like oh wow i really love this moment or whatever is really cool um Cause there, and then around this time, like what I was really into, not just video games, was tabletop role-playing games. I got really into tabletop role-playing games because that was like kind of my ideal, uh, you know, a combination of like the game part, the serialized long-form storytelling of comics, and also, you know, taking elements of the things you like and remixing them and having a collaborative story that is, 
you know, like video games, but you get to then form your own representation and, you know, interpret those in your own ways. So I'd been doing that for a while. Um, you know, I played one short game with Charlie that was a play test of a magical girl game um, where there was a haunted mall. And that was a lot of fun. And then it was kind of a weird thing. Like some people that were in that and some people that were on the um, Explain the X-Men Discord and, um, you know, just a group of people that we were all you know knew each other in various ways we're like what if we played like a comic book tabletop role-playing game and i was like huh and so we kind of Tell started more yeah <laughs> so more then we right kind now. of <laughs> yeah so we started talking through that like november december of 2017 and then we played well like okay we'll play like a session or two if we don't like it or time doesn't work out schedules don't work out it's fine and so our original team for our masks game which came to be set in what we called earth 218 it was very original because we played in 2018 but like this was supposed to be one game <laughs> maybe two our team was billy kaplan uh Shatterstar was Rob with us. Rob was with us. At yes, point. correct. She Hulk, She Hulk, Jennifer Walters, who was like we reasoned was not Masks is a game that's kind of focused on teen superheroes, but Jennifer Walters, even though she was an adult, we kind of reasoned like that made sense because, um, like it's still within the like young adult realm because she was at a very weird crossroads in her life. So she was kind of a mentor figure, but was really just as unsure of herself as the rest of the characters. Mm -hmm. And um, then we had um, our good friend Casey created a completely original character um, called, was that Ruby? Are you, no. are you misremembering Alex? Goodness sakes. Yes, Alex, thank you. Sorry, I had, it's been a long day. Yes. So Alex, who um, it would come to be revealed at the very end of what would then become a three-year campaign, uh, was a failed clone of Rogue. Mm -hmm. Wow. Correct. Yeah. So... Oh, and Adam X the Extreme. Let's not forget about our yeah, good friend so, Dan McMahon's yeah, he came in later. To our game. He was not in that first session, but when we um, and Anna had to leave us, but Billy Kaplan, he was still in the background because um, Anna was very busy. But um, Dan McMahon came on and played Adam X the Extreme, and at that point, that was when the group dynamic really clicked because it was like everyone aside from that was kind of no one would quite take the lead no one quite knew what direction they wanted to go in in terms of the characters didn't know who would you know it's like oh we've got vampires 
I don't know what, how we should handle this. And Adam's like, come on, man, like, let's get this together. I'm going to go like, just do this thing. And y'all, you know, whoever wants to come can come. Like, I don't care. These loser vampires, you know, they don't, they don't know what they're in for. So that was kind of the, the firecracker under everyone's ass on the, on our little Motley X-Men team crew too. And he also had uh, this kind of dynamic where like he pissed people off. He would antagonize them. He wasn't there to be nice to people. Um, he was going to tell you what he thought. And so you, he caused hey, some like friction. Yeah. Hey Dan, do you, do you know, you know how Adam X the extreme right now was just also trapped in the mojo world, but as like a hot, like a, like a YouTuber basically. Yes. Running a snuff yeah, so, channel. Yeah. So in, um in our game, two years before this all happened, Dan played Adam X C Extreme as as a YouTube celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so this is, I, this is, this is more uh, Matt. This is more evidence that the the X writers are stealing all our fanfic ideas. Let's yeah. talk. Of, we haven't talked about my brain chip yet. I'll <laughs> talk about my brain chip at some point. Yeah. Well, so Charlie has this. Uh, supernatural tendency that ideas that we come up with in a totally private setting mm -hmm. that never get revealed to the outside like shortly thereafter they end up in canon in like nearly the exact same form <laughs> that we laid them out it's bizarre <laughs> like it happened in assassin's creed it happened somewhat with x-men i know there was like at least one incidence that we were like what in the hell <laughs> it happened with young avengers and it's happened with uh x-men and it's definitely also happened with wrestling <laughs> yeah so well, it, it just happened to matt and me in the most recent issue of excalibur four words prime minister pete wisdom <laughs> i'm glad that you guys that's very i'm glad that you guys got that that's um i since i've been working on that like covering that book every, every like all since then i'm like oh this is a good one <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a good one for dad and matt um check one off in that box um, you have no idea i i was insufferable that day i like messaged matt <laughs> you should be. I'm like read this fucking book now <laughs> <laughs> that's like so we played like we played this game of masks for three years um like we had like three se distinct seasons. seasons like we were in we we did our x-men we went to the mojo we went to the mojo verse we had lots of things happen we went to hell um we got a resurrected cyclops to join us um <laughs> and then um we did a one shot where we did avengers characters um in this like entire thing like it it was so gratifying like it was like I became like more creative than I think I ever had been like pumping all of my ideas into like these remixes on characters that that's what I'm familiar with. Like just putting all my creative energy into <laughs> characters that maybe belong some to someone else, but excuse me, but I can like put a lot of creative energy there because like I can draw parallels. I want to see and tabletop is the perfect realm for that. Cause you just get to remix everything. Um, I often say that, in order for me to create a completely original character, you can ask me one month for one game, and then I have a cooldown period, like on a game, like 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 in a video game. You can't ask me to make an original character again until like two months later because like okay. it's hard for me to like 
it's hard for me to not like try and take something whole cloth from something else but then mikey told me something very special which is like if you don't play the thing you want to play in the tabletop then what is tabletop for like if you don't do like if you don't go get super extra about it then like what are you even doing here so right because like in in a way like saying okay we're gonna build our ideal version of the marvel universe and what does that look like and that was like what i needed to bring all those because i never stopped liking comics it was just like the act of reading comics and have Having to get the the up and down cycle of getting really excited for a book and then you know having like a couple because this was also this time period where like keep in mind marvel was running like 15 issues and then resetting to a number one so it's like you would just start to get invested in in a book and then it would either reset or completely change gears or go into an event and then you had to like recycle that you know try to bring that energy back to recenter yourself on what was coming out next and you know reading not for not for criticism not for review and and actually investing your emotional energy in that arc is is exhausting whereas here it's like okay what are the ideas that i can use um you know, some of which, you know, we kind of had some of that ideating session back when we did Young Ones, where people would say, like, what's your ideal AU? Like, I could pull things like that and have those kind of ideas, but that would actually become the game. Like, if I said, you know, I want to have a world in which we make the whole, like, we make the whole Civil War thing better and, like, actually put Cap and Tony together, but not only that, like deal with tony's like emotional baggage you know what does that look like um you know what does it look like to deal with a wanda who like a wanda maximov that you know is making what she thinks are good decisions but ultimately could have harmful ends you know and rather than have you know the very ableist and mental health focused in a negative way arc that we have had you know what does it look like to actually have why does an antipathy between the x-men and the avengers exist like how can we have something where that makes sense well because tony stark makes bad decisions you know he ends up killing you know some of the x-men and like and then a civil war type thing happens because he's like okay let's destroy hell with a bomb and send some of the x-men in as you know after blackmailing them like you know that's a tony stark decision but it's like then we have to bring it back and deal with the ramifications of that in a way that in a lot of times won't we don't get that um fulfillment in comics just because it's like well we can't totally destroy these characters because then we have to bring them back into an event next month and like that's totally understandable but you all those traditions go out the window when you're doing it just for a tabletop game and it's like they're your action figures you can do whatever you want so (laughs) yeah we said we played our own comics uh for quite a long time um and then and we got to do richter and star in that yeah we did we got in our own way some very sweet um richter and shatter star um stuff that dealt dealt with their like the problems that they have which are basically like you know um rick's got a if Excalibur, like this very recent run of Excalibur, has taught me anything, it's that Rick's depression really manifests itself in codependency, 
um, more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. And if it's not star, it's somebody else, mm-hmm. which isn't healthy. Like, so like as much as I was like, I'm, as much as I'm like, why can't they just be together? I'm like, I think Rick needs to learn that he has to not be so codependent. Like that's yeah. a healthy thing. Um, so like what we did in the in the tabletop was like play with those things a little. Um, well, because then Star has a tendency to go run off and have these grand adventures in like time and space and whatnot, and that's mm-hmm. like, you know, ultimately like Rick's power is Earth. Like he has this deep emotional, almost spiritual connection to like uh, literally our planet so you know it's not gonna feel as good for him to go run around you know mojo world and whatever and so when star ends up doing that you know that codependency push pull like becomes really intense and so we got to you know things kind of broke bad in our masks game and we had to break them and that was really hard for charlie emotionally because they had invested a lot in shatterstar but it's like we have to break thing like this is a natural step to break things in order to put them back together Mm -hmm. um and then we got to have like a moment of it's like you put aside all the machismo and say no you really matter to me and I love you. It's just really hard for me to say it and really hard for me to express like the ways in which I need you and the ways that I also need boundaries. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of very healthy relationship mechanics that you can like work out like in, in fictional characters, which is like the really cool part um, about like playing with them the way that I like to, and that Mikey likes to, and that a lot of other people like to do it. Um, and then Mikey and I got in a wrestling man. What a mess. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Around this time, one of my good friends, um, Mad Perot on Twitter, um, she was really into NXT, and and so we were watching some of that because she would screen share it, and she started talking to me about how there was like a bisexual, um, like the character at least was was bisexual in wrestling, and I'm like, excuse me, what? And she's like, oh yeah, Kenny Omega and um, his tag team partner, Kota Ibushi. And that was, that was like all I needed to fall into wrestling. But I didn't completely fall in all the way. I just watched like a bunch of YouTube videos. Because at that point, you know, this is when you start like on the comics level, you start reading like the Wikipedia articles and stuff, right? Like you kind of start seeing like, okay, what's the canon here? But mm-hmm. I don't want to like dive in all the way necessarily because that's like, where do I even get started? There's money, you know, is there a shop near me? Oh yeah. You have to pay a $50 deposit for a pull box. Uh, that <laughs> seems like a lot of investment that I don't want to have. So, you know, so then you're kind of like, okay, well that's cool, but I'm going to go do something else for a little bit. <laughs> and then yeah. 2019 hits. Yeah. And Charlie's been watching WWE at this point for a little while. I haven't. But they go, you know, there's going to be this new wrestling and Kenny Omega's in it, who I know you like, and it's going to be like, it's starting fresh and it's going to be on cable so you can just watch it. (laughs) And that's like, that's like, you know, literally, I don't even know if there's like a comics equivalent to that. I guess it's like. Valiant. That was the vibe of the image revolution. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's true. 
of like, hey, I like yours you know, better, Matt. <laughs> like, here's this, like, here's this old thing. Do you really want this old thing? We're starting something new. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got yeah. it. Yeah, I was gonna reference something that at the time was really cool but then in retrospect there's a lot of stuff i don't want to get into so yeah the image um, revolution image revolution is probably better <laughs> well no that's believe i don't think many people want to go back and reread young blood number one. Oh no i was thinking uh like wild storm stuff which is its own totally different can of worms but anyway mm -hmm. so so brand new wrestling brand new canon you know some old favorites some new faces and the first night um, was like September 2019 and I was hooked and I was like, this feels like something I could watch. Like this actually feels like something I could watch and it's only two hours, which is like, you know, not a lot of time investment. That's like, okay, that's like the, the movie and that was it all became a, a steep steep hill from there and now we're where we are today so okay. so that all that to say thank you for taking us thank you for letting us walk you down our relationship path to get to a place where we started at i guess um yeah. we talked we talked about comics in between there mm -hmm. uh, so the golden lovers yes interestingly you answered like our next four questions in oh, the that whole, the whole sheet the whole yeah. sheet yeah, so it actually was perfect. <laughs> the Golden Lovers. So, Kenny Omega, in and of himself, mm -hmm. brings to AEW a very extensive back canon of material. Um, as Mikey said, um, he, Kenny Omega, the character, whether Titan Smith, the man, is or is not, mm -hmm. Kenny Omega, the character, is bisexual. Like, he is a queer wrestler. Um, that's enough to get your ears perked up because that's, like, where we... We don't hear that. You don't hear that ever, ever. At least not in mainstream wrestling. Like, Correct. I do want to say, like, there's a lot of, like, out indie wrestlers, but in mainstream, like, long-form storytelling, like, you know, promotions that have the big budget to do that kind of thing, you don't hear that. Mm -hmm. So that perks your ears up, and then you start watching AEW, like, as it stands today. And, like, we, we both got into that product um, very easily. And it was, like, okay, I love, like, I like these characters. It took me and Mikey a while to warm up to some of the other characters that weren't, like, John Moxley, who I immediately already had an affinity for. And then Mikey loved Kenny. And at the time the AEW started, they were, they were already locked in a blood feud. <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is ideal. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. Kenny's very special as a wrestler. And I said this like last week, I think somewhere on Twitter, people were replying to me and I didn't look at them because they were stupid replies. But I said that Kenny Omega is like the Grant Morrison or Jonathan Hickman of wrestling because he does the thing he, 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 he does the thing that you haven't seen before. Like he wants to change something about what you're reading or, or watching in that case that you haven't seen. So Kenny is very much, and, and you guys watch the stadium stampede. Kenny yes. is a cartoon character. Like he is, but also 
this is a this is a guy who Mikey said before who said when he wanted to grow up he wanted to be either a Ninja Turtle or a hockey player and he couldn't do both so he like he didn't think he could do both but then he became a professional wrestler which is really the closest thing you can be to being a superhero like a yeah. real life superhero um and like he doesn't think about wrestling like wrestling like in that dichotomy of black and white he thinks about it as like a like a tv show like if you're gonna watch an episode of AEW dynamite on wednesday what do we got to do to bring you back next week and what that is is we have to tell a long-form story like you would watch on any other television show like any prestige tv show like there's a story that you can follow from week to week why don't wrestlers treat it why don't they treat it like that like they should um kenny very very um specifically references how he looks at matches like episodes of batman the animated series um or classical music yeah if he's gonna have a self-contained like 30 minute match like you know how does the action rise and fall in an episode of batman the animated series or like when you're listening to a piece of classical music you know it starts how how does the music build and crescendo you know when does it get slower when when does the tempo change and you know people have um you know listen to those for years and years and years um you know how can he bring those elements into wrestling so like even if you're not a huge fan of wrestling like how can he pull those elements in and like you know on the just in the one episode like keep your attention in that one episode but then leave enough for next week so that it pulls you back like so that you're invested not only in the short-term story but in the long term yeah, like, I think you see, he basically said, like, Batman doesn't fight the joke. If Batman fought the, fought the Joker every week, like, why would you continue to, like, come back to watch? Like, mm-hmm. like every story is different, and he wants to put, like, but the larger continuity, it branches everything together. So he looks at wrestling like that. A lot of people don't like Kenny Omega because he looks at wrestling like that. And he's been lauded for basically saying he doesn't watch wrestling, like, other wrestling, because, like, it just doesn't interest him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's this phenomenal athlete. So it's like this combination of things that like get you something very special. Um, and in this case, like Kenny's very long form story that he's telling over how long has it been, Mikey? So in 2008, a young Kenny Omega uh, kind of had started watching matches from a young up and coming uh, Japanese indie wrestler named Cody Kota Ibushi. He, you know, watched them on YouTube, watched them on like bootleg VHSs and stuff that people had brought over from Japan. And so he goes, that is the guy that I want to wrestle. Like something about at this point, Kenny didn't speak Japanese. So he goes, at this you know, point. at this point. So he had never been to Japan. He had, you know, shuffled around Manitoba, Canada and, you know, northern united states across canada and stuff into california you know wrestling for indie places and so he says i'm going to challenge him to a match using this new platform youtube (laughs) and so he puts out a promo video and then he films himself um kota bushi at this point was wrestling for a japanese promotion called dramatic dream team ddt and their specialty is having matches outside of a ring um so like in a pool in a park 
uh, in the woods, in a restaurant, in the woods, <laughs> you know, having wrestling matches literally anywhere. The anywhere match is what they call it. So he filmed himself challenging Canada's uh, foremost anywhere wrestling uh, expert in a match and they went from the guy's house they went to his kitchen they went out to his yard they went to a lake and then they <laughs> fell from a lake down a ravine into a gravel pit and he eventually ended up pinning him on a pile of gravel and there was a wow. spot with kicking sand in his eye you know it i think that that's still on youtube so you, you can, can still watch, watch it yeah and <laughs> So Kota Ibushi saw it and he said, yes, DDT agreed to fly him out to, to fly Kenny Omega to Japan. Kenny Omega had never been to Japan before, did not know Japanese. Um, one of the guys that just happened to know both English and Japanese uh, that worked for DDT, another wrestler, Michael Nakazawa, had to translate. Um, but he, um, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi put together their first match. And afterwards kenny said that was the first match that he ever wrestled that made him cry he was overcome with emotion he and kota Ibushi were just like just laying there just laughing and hugging and charlie and i have watched that match it is incredible it is scary mm-hmm. but they do a backflip off a vending machine onto gravel like onto asphalt it's yeah. it, there's uh they they there's some spots with a truck they jump off a truck um and afterwards kenny omega and kota bushi got awarded match of the year in japan it's very rare for an indie um an indie match to get that and ddt invited him back for a second match and they said well we don't want to fight each other. We want to become tag team tag partners, partners, which is not usually done. Like usually if you have a young, two young hotshots, you want to have them wrestle each other because people want to see them put on a show. And they said, no. Don't get it twisted. Kenny and Coda are rivals. They are rivals, but they, they, they recognize like the oneness of each other and they became a tag team and thusly literally fell in love, which is the story. Yeah, they wanted to make them the golden cousins or the golden brothers, and they and Coda and Kenny came back and said, no, we're the golden lovers. And that was that. And then they wrestled another match in DDT. It won match of the year the next year. And then they were pretty much cemented as a tag team from there on out. Um, what's interesting is... DDT is a promotion, like being this kind of comedy, weird, wacky promotion. Uh, you know, they use like gayness and queerness, especially in men, a lot of times as kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. But Kenny and Koto like actively resisted that. Like they wrestled a guy that whose gimmick was like he forced men to kiss and then they would get disgusted and like quit. Um, he was like, I'm going to use my powers to make you kiss. And Koto and Kenny are like, well, kiss, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like this is fine yeah um so like you see lots there's lots of like uh like videos of them smooching and like doing like very boyfriend-esque things while they're in ddt in do, like doing this mm-hmm. so they're in ddt and they're this like very like the cemented together tag team 
but Kota gets um, scouted by New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is the big promotion in Japan. Mm-hmm. And Kota goes to New Japan and starts doing singles things in New Japan. Kenny goes to New Japan, but they don't push Kenny like they push Kota. Mm-hmm. And they break up as a tag team. And Kota goes, he becomes the golden star. He is the, like, they're going to push Kota off to the moon because he is this amazing wrestler. Yeah, and, like natural talent. Mm-hmm. And Kenny like just truly naturally athletically gifted. And Kenny's great, but he's not Kota. And that brings, that breeds some resentment. Well, uh, and he, he wrestles Kota around this time and puts on a spectacular match, but just cannot beat him. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really when the resentment like fully starts to kick in. And then, so when we see him in New Japan, um, he is a heel. He is a bad guy known as the cleaner, inspired by Resident Evil um but albert albert wesker yes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. he's got these black sunglasses and a long leather coat um but the japanese audience doesn't really they take cleaner to be literal so they're like wait he's a garbage man so (laughs) kenny goes fine you know what i'll play your game i love silly silly things like i came from a comedy promotion it's whatever so he starts coming out with the broom and he's gonna make a clean sweep of the men's division Mm -hmm. um you know, his, his heavyweight or junior heavyweight division. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they clean up the junior yeah. heavyweight division. This is a man who comes to the ring after, and he gets put into their, the villain, like the very villainous bullet club faction. Um, and he becomes this villain and it's very staunch because like, he was this like very like upbeat baby face. Angelic. Almost. Like, almost like angelic bouncing golden curls. Yes. In, in DDT. And all of a sudden he dyes his hair like black and he's this like, black and gray over the top anime villain he comes to the ring and he's like like you i wanted to come to new japan pro wrestling and you thought i wanted your lion mark i don't want your stupid lion mark all i want is your money like he becomes this like over the top villain but it it he refuses to speak in japanese you know he's he's no longer the polite young man that would speak japanese but a lot of this and and a lot of kenny becoming the cleaner is like because he feels abandoned by coda so he's like okay i'll just become everything that everyone would hate like i'm just gonna do this like so this like crack happens in kenny and he becomes the cleaner who's kind of in my opinion like like the evil lives in the aviators like i think it's like it's like the malice necklace it's like you know there's a part a thing on you become possessed and i think the aviators are that for kenny um but you know even though kenny's this evil character he has friends he has like really close friends like that kind of become this like family to him he has matt nick jackson the young bucks and they are a unit known as the elite um, and Kenny just gets worse, by the way. He just gets eviler and eviler. But well, so he kind of overthrows the leader of this bad group, right? And um, then becomes the leader and forms the elite. And then from that point on, he says, "You know, I'm no longer a junior heavyweight. I'm not going to languish here anymore. I'm going to become one of the big guys." So he starts kind of working his way up slowly. And the real turning point in that 
is when he wins um, New Japan Pro Wrestling's most prestigious tournament. Everyone loves the tournament arc. Um, (laughs) He wins their prestigious tournament, the G1 Climax, and he does so by using finishers from three other wrestlers, two of which had been former leaders of the Bullet Club, his evil faction, and the other um, is one of Kota Ibushi's moves. And during the the, uh, after match interview the post match post g1 press conference he comes in with this absolute like the aviators evil necklace (laughs) evil suit like looking like a mafioso right i had to eat a man's heart i had to break a man's spirit on live television in front of ten thousand people and hundreds of thousands watching worldwide is his words yeah and then they ask him they say you know, what caused you to use the moves of AJ Styles, Prince Devitt, and Kota Ibushi? And he goes, AJ Styles, Prince Devitt, and who? And they go, Kota Ibushi? And he's like, who? And they're like, Kota Ibushi. He's like, next question. I refuse to answer that. <laughs> and so he is just like, I do not see it. Anytime <laughs> Kota Ibushi is mentioned, people will ask him on Twitter. Um, he'll be rude and dismissive about it. And then, like, tweet really longing things um, on social media. Like, it's so lonely here. You know, this is not an exact quote, but the kind of caliber is, like, I'm, it's so lonely here at the top. Um, you know, I'm wishing I had someone else. And, you know, so that's – and that's kind of the fun thing about wrestling nowadays is the, the canon exists, you know, there are the matches and the interviews – but then there's also this kind of like epistolary canon of the YouTube videos, the social media posts, you know, the, well, he said this one time and then this is in character. So, you know, it does count as canon. It's like, remember when Marvel tried to do the in character Twitter accounts and it kind of failed? No. Yeah. They did. A, they had in character Twitter accounts for like Wolf, the Wolverine and the X-Men kids. Squirrel Girl too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They tried it with a couple. They didn't really land. Um, but it's like if this if if it was actually good. Yeah. <laughs> let's say. What if this is um, actually good? I think I pro- barely remember there being a Deadpool account, but of I think there, there was. was. Of, course, of course there was. Um, but you know, like when when you're between books, I guess in a lot of ways, probably the most similar thing in comics is like when you have interviews and stuff, that's like, what are you gearing up for on the next run and little hints and pieces where Mm -hmm. it's like, you can kind of imagine how that might spin out into the next story arc. And it's kind of the same way with, with Twitter. So, you know, Kenny is like, I am, I don't need anyone else by my side. I'm, going to annihilate all my opponents i'm going to be at the top and then no one can ever compare me to anyone else but then on twitter he's like um you know i'm i i'm still going to compete but also like throwback thursday remember the time i had this really great match with the golden lovers so there's like this push pull and so it's like which is the real you and it all kind of culminates when he does get to that top spot and starts going for the most prestigious title, the IWGP heavyweight championship against who is then um, he's been described as Japan's Ric Flair. Um, He's kind of like the creme de la creme Kazuchika Okada 
like, you know, amazing guy has the establishment backing has wrestled all over the world and came back to Japan, a huge star. And Kenny just can't crack that nut. Like, Kenny so can't to speak, beat him. Kenny can't, can't beat, him. beat him. Kenny's he got can't. like Kenny's got an evil family, but he cannot he cannot beat um, Okada. He just can't do it. Um, and it like culminates in this. <sighs> well, and, and the tweets are happening still at this time, and I think it Koda is not very vocal on social media, but I think he says in an interview something to the effect of like I'll be there waiting when you're ready um and yeah so yeah it like culminates in this like coda shows up like once backstage when kenny's after kenny's lost and he like standing in front of kenny and kenny like they stand there and they look at each other but then kenny just like he's like i can't i can't i can't do this um and at the height of kenny's like i'm he's the he's he is the u.s championship belt holder at the time um he goes to the ring extremely cocky um and in in the interim the faction that he's leading is splintering apart he's he can't keep his friends together because cody rhodes is a villainous son of a bitch and has been plotting a coup for months at this point Mm -hmm. um he's targeted coda individually like outside of Kenny's purview and Coda Cody is like I'm gonna get Coda because Cody's kind of in love with Kenny like and wants Kenny's approval but Kenny will never give it to him so he goes after the thing Kenny cares about the most which is Coda so that happens and that kind of like causes this shift to happen where like Kenny has no he's got no choice but to sit like they're gonna like cody's gonna beat coda with a chair in the ring one night and kenny runs out and saves him and it's this huge thing um but that's it for like a month and then kenny goes to 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 defend that u.s championship belt he loses it cody comes out to like okay we're gonna shake hands like everything's diffused like i know like you're you lost the belt but you're still you know the, still, you're still leader. the leader of bullet club everything's fine bullet club will be fine he <laughs> holds the rope down for him so kenny can step through it and then kenny grabs him i mean cody grabs kenny pulls him back gives him his finisher and like goes to grab a chair and yeah like- he does this incredible it's usually not very exciting. It's the crossroads. He just kind of like flips somebody over. He Cody's Cody's doing it in a full three piece suit. Very uh, villainous. And yeah, very villainous, and just lays Kenny out, and then just smiles over his body, and then gets ready to beat him up with a chair. And Coda comes out. Coda runs out with a chair to help Kenny, and fends gets Cody and Hangman out of the ring. Um, and then Kenny's just there in the ring and he like pulls himself up on the ropes and Coda just offers his hand to Kenny and it's a good like three minutes of tension. Where, yeah, like, Kenny's like shaking his head. He's, he's like, like, no. I think he pushes his hand away yeah, too. He's, he's like, like, no, I can't no. do it. I don't deserve it. And then all of a sudden it just breaks and they hug in the ring and there's confetti that comes down. <laughs> there's confetti because- And music. The confetti that only ha- comes down when you win a championship in Japan, but it's like coming down for the Golden Lovers to reunite. And like, 
they reunite that night and then finally because kenny is whole he's mm-hmm. not like the shell of himself anymore he finally beats okada because Koda's at his side now so he finally wins the top championship because he's got like every he's got like every piece is is there now and it's like this incredible moment like and it's got there's a lot of other things going on like kenny's feuding with the young bucks because he's so enamored with having coda back that he's like coda and i are the best tag team in the world like we're gonna do it everything and then matt and nick who have been cody's been pulling them apart because cody's an evil manipulator mm-hmm. um like the bucks are like what do you mean you're the best tag team in the world like we're the best tag team in the world and it's yeah we're your like, best friends like don't we count like you like we've been here for you this whole time where was he like so it becomes this, like very soap opera like you don't love him like i love him type of situation well <laughs> and, and they you know it's that you know even though you have your relationship back together you can't you know get rid of all your friends or you can't abandon that like the people that have been with you all the time and i it's you know a very it's very potent for that reason because it's like you can immediately see the dichotomy there of like what do you do when like your best friend just decides to like piss off and like go spend all of his time with his new boyfriend like mm-hmm. like that's very you relatable. have to resolve that you have to talk it out and because in wrestling uh you don't really talk uh things don't get resolved via talking things get resolved via fighting and sometimes it gets really messy and you have a really you know the wrestling equivalent of a really messy hurtful argument but sometimes you have to get all that out so that you can work through it and that's kind of what they end up doing and then they become the golden elite yeah so so it's dakota and kenny like all in a unit and it's like beautiful it's it's, this beautiful thing that you hold in your hand and watch the petals fall off a flower um because friends we're sure in a place right now that all happens in japan it's this story is still going on like um in aw right now and it is yeah kenny is once again kind of that shell of a human being leaving all of his friends behind maybe even worse than he's ever been and then (laughs) over the weekend this very this past past weekend. weekend Literally this past weekend, Kota Ibushi, who now holds the two top titles in Japan. He's got two belts. Kenny um, also has two belts from two different promotions. Um, they're both collecting belts. Uh, Kota Kenny, cha- Kenny stole the AEW World Championship. Yes. Uh, he don't, don't get it twisted. Uh, I'm not, yeah, but technicalities, I don't want to confuse people. <laughs> so, you know, Kota Ibushi... Uh, challenges Kenny Omega to another match. Not directly, but in such the tweet that he he says in 2008, like, uh, you know, everything changed, basically. And I want to do it again. Pro wrestling has gotten boring. We need to give the people a little bit more excitement. And, like, for a day, you know, (laughs) crickets from Kenny Omega... Like, we had to sit with that and go, is this real? Because the, the other thing is, you know, not only is the world situation kind of in chaos right now, like, between people literally being able to travel to other countries, 
wrestling promotions just don't work with each other. Like Mm -hmm. people don't go from one company to another. They stay where they are and that's what they do. You know, when they go to another company, they don't just get to go back and forth. Like it just doesn't work like that. You, you work, if you're contracted wrestler, you know, it's, it's, you know, like if, if you're hired by, you know, they, they have exclusivity. So that's just the understanding of the matter. So when Kota Ibushi says that, you know, there was great antipathy between, because when Kenny Omega left Japan, you know, he took, it's like, you were our next big, you could have been our next big star and you went and started this whole new company instead. Like that's, you know, that's just really, really not good form and, you know, put them in a really bad place. Um, you know, some would say how bad that is, you know, people would argue, but regardless, it, it foiled their plans. So then after a day, finally, of this, like, is this going to happen? Is this even realistic? Is Coda just, you know, saying things and getting our hopes up as fans and, and people that are invested in this or not? Kenny responds. And he said, like, basically, I left that other kingdom for you so you could grow and, you know, become a champion. Um, why don't you take my hand and we'll break it down and build a new kingdom together? Yeah. And I'm just like, Beautiful. oh. Kenny's yeah. evil, by the way. I wouldn't trust anything he says. Yeah, uh, but Kota is also arguably evil, so they could yeah. be evil together. They could be evil, which I've, which I've ascertained over, my, over the last six months. I prefer evil families <laughs> that are good. <laughs> Why would you, why can't, if you have evil boyfriends, like just have evil boyfriends, it's fine. Well, your favorite version of Rick and Star is when they were both like, um, you know, gays with a grudge. It's true. It's so, true. It's, like, it's just like, uh, you know, you can be, a, you can be a bad guy, but you know, you have to have your family support still with you. That's like the cool thing about, like the cool thing about Kenny really, like for me, is that he's this queer character but he's this bad person like and gay people don't get to be bad people in media like they're either like one thing or the other like yeah like they don't get to be people doing like the right things for the wrong reasons or you know the wrong things for the right reasons it's like because arguably you know Kenny Omega the character it's like well in wrestling like you're supposed to chase the belts like you're supposed to want all this fame and glory and everything but you know, Kenny's throwing away, you know, the parts of us that make him human to do it. So it's, it's a kind of messiness that, that just, you don't get to see that often. (laughs) Um, So. I love messy characters. I mean, that's, that's, that's my big couple hot take is um, I just like characters that have really messy relationships and work together or uh, through that or around that or or uh i guess like one of the themes i really like to play with in fiction is like the role of a mon with the monster like you have to recognize 
recognizing that you there are monstrous things or bad things about you is is step one and it's not bad to be that way but you have to take responsibility for those things like because when you don't that's when they get out of control like we all have bad traits like it's just the way it is Um, but you have to like kind of like understand that and like be responsible with those things instead of like letting them spin out of control because that's what actually makes you a bad person. Um, and I like to explore those themes. Um, Kenny is a very good example of all of that. Um, like if you are a bad person or you've done bad things, do you still deserve to be loved? Like also questions are like answered in fiction. Um, thank you for going on this tour with us. <laughs> yeah, listen, it was a beautiful tour. And I think that's, yes. a, that's a great button to sort of wind things down on. Um, let's make sure that, that as we're wrapping up, we talk about, uh, you know, normally this is this, this, the, the, the part where I asked our guests, what are you reading? But I want to know what you guys are, are writing, you know, uh, what's some of the stuff that you've been working on over at the old uh, comics XF factory that, uh, y- you know, you want some eyeballs on. Well, uh, I, told Mikey he needed to write about WandaVision um, because I am his editor um, also. Um, but no, he was very There's happy. some power to- dynamic issues there. I don't know. <laughs> it's true. Oh gosh, problematic. I'm not sure. Um, Listen, don't get it twisted. I was like, can I put this into the CMS myself? And Charlie's like, no. But does that mean that I did a bad idea? That I did a bad thing? And I'm like, no. But I also, I'm just like, I want to make it easier on you. If I have the power, I will. Like, um, but you know, Mikey and I have been working on um, Wanda, Vill- Wanda Villains. <laughs> WandaVision. Um, That's a right d- up well, every, every Monday. Um, uh, I fill in usually if Mikey doesn't have someone else to write with. Um, we just wrapped up talking about episode four so that's up on the website yeah, um, that worked out pretty neatly for us to talk about it together because it was like more on a meta layer so we could kind of peel back the curtain a little bit mm-hmm. yeah um so wandavision stuff uh mickey does we did this um i made i also made mike see i'm doing all these bad things i make mikey do all these things um uh mikey and forrest worked on a uh royal rumble piece um uh but with marvel superheroes um so they put together a 30 person uh a 30 superhero royal rumble um the royal mumble as as we decreed it so uh forrest hollingsworth and mikey worked on that um that is also up that i had a hand in that i i like that idea so i was like this Mm -hmm. um i'm currently (laughs) i'm currently writing a piece about super bowl halftime shows from 1992 to 2020 I watched them all in the span of three days. It was a bad idea. Um, so I'm making... I'm Remember ready. when we talked earlier about like watching a bunch of the same thing or reading a bunch of the same thing at once is a bad idea? Yeah. It, um, this is becoming its own subgenre on comics, except, by the way. We just put a piece of I read every Marvel comic ever. It was I a, could write, I made a huge mistake. I, I could yeah. probably write a retrospective on uh, Civil War, but it probably doesn't deserve that level of attention. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to be going up. Um, I regularly obviously write about Excalibur um, with Dan McMahon. So Excal- Excalibur has still been great. Um, sure has. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't know anything about that. Um, I'm, I'm getting Mikey to dip his toes into things. Um, I, I am of my own volition. I'm <laughs> um, going to start writing about uh, tabletop games 
and specifically superhero inspired or based tabletop games mm. um, with Luke Care of um, Multiversal Q and what was that other? Exiled. Um, Exiled. Uh, so we're going to be working on that um, as a series sometime soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That'll be really fun. Um, I, I want to get up and I want to get like video content for the site up and running. That's like my pet project Mm -hmm. this, uh, this year as an editor. Um, so working on that, um, unsure what form that'll take as of right now, I have like two very, very solid ideas. Um, basically all I want to do is get people invested in the people on the website because everybody at the website is great. Um, so I just Obviously want... fleets are what you have to go with. Fleets are the new hot thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Sure is. Um, Spotify the... might be having their own version of stories sometime soon too, you know? Oh, that's exactly what I want to use. Thank you, Spotify. <laughs> so- songs that just disappear? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You just, 30 seconds of a song and then it's, then it's gone. Um, <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Gone forever. Gone for. I mean, <laughs> would that be the worst thing? Think about that. Um, but what, that's my pet project. Um, other than that, um... Matt's thinking. I see it. No, no, just thinking about you know, could you know the earworms that one could make disappear. Yeah, right. Like just go. No more Mambo Number Five. None. <laughs> sorry, sorry, see, Lou Vega. They, this is where people start getting into getting into fights. You made you made my favorite song. Disappear. I'm going to make your favorite song. Disappear. <laughs> I'm taking your favorite song out of the jukebox. No, it's raining men. It ain't no more. <laughs> I uh, uh, so you know I won't be doing anything with Twitter fleets, but it's a thought. Thank you, Mikey. Um, other than that, um, Mikey and I are working on this. Um, Rather, rather large scale project that might turn into something else if I if we deem fit right now it is um, rife with other people's IP so uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, it is essentially like hey what what if um, what if the city of here's my pitch mm-hmm. what if the city of Miami had a hellmouth opened there mm-hmm. and what if everybody unbeknownst to them started basically giving it like basically becoming manifestations of their um their vices so um that's what mikey and i are working on right now um it is a story called called miami vices because i was just I about to yell that out and then i yeah. realized wait a minute no i've seen it called that that's actually the, the- yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. too perfect not to yeah, and in all fairness, though the the question of if a Hellmouth opened up in Miami Sorry there. is yeah, I was gonna say there's no if about that. Yeah, no. The funny part about it is uh, Miami is more cursed than maybe you would ever know. My, Mike and I have done a tremendous amount of research about Miami, Florida. It is found many a cursed Zillow listing. Correct. Um, I think there's something going on with the. Um, like how you do, like how they do, like resident, like residential housing there. That's like you can what we would typically find as zoned for um, like shops or things of that nature are, are zoned as residential. In yeah, I, I legitimately found like a former health uh, 
like not strip mall but like office complex like where you would normally find like doctor's offices that had been converted into housing i found a studio that was clearly like a retrofitted garage where someone had cut a rectangular hole in drywall and you could see a bathroom through the hole in the drywall next to the kitchen uh counter yeah and it's like that's the bathroom somebody was just climbed through this hole yeah somebody was running somebody's garage as an apartment um, it has a window, so it counts. <laughs> and there was, there's a very haunted um, spa- span of land that is like, it is like empty, but like in the background, there are these like pristine like condos that they've just built there. And it's like this, like, it's like the Chernobyl, like there's nothing around it. Well, and then there's like an abandoned uh, drive through. Yeah. Like an- some fast food location. It, yeah. So that it's like parking lot hell and then condos. Well, yeah. it's, it sounds like you've whole... you definitely got your setting. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a whole shtick in last week's um, Bim Bam about, you know, somebody <laughs> asking if you would move into a Taco Bell and keep up all the signage, but not actually be a Taco Bell. Would you do it? I know one person who would. Dan McMahon, absolutely what I think. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. Yeah, that's a that's a Dan situation. Make it a yeah. McDonald's, and he's already purchased it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no McDonald's are closing in New Jersey, though. Yeah, that's true. Oh. That's true. Yeah, so uh, you know, vices is a thing, um, and it is. We also have our own podcast. We also, have, oh, how could we forget about the podcast? Um, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm like waiting for you to mention it, and I'm like, no, I'm just gonna have to step we're in doing, there. We're doing a lot. Um, yeah, our podcast, our podcast called Match Club about wrestling stories. Um, you can hear all about Kenny Omega and Okada on that podcast. Yeah, someday we'll record the final episode of that saga. We keep doing, we keep saying it, and then other things happen because everything happens so much. Yeah, yeah, life happens. Um, and then I also have a video podcast. I promise we're wrapping up. Um, I have a video (laughs) podcast called "I See a Pale Moon Rising: Nightmare Hosts Coast to Coast," um, which I do with my friends. uh, Kazuma Hoshimoto, uh, Casey Crook, and Chris Geldart about the architecture and storytelling in the environments of Bloodborne by From Software. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so we've had a lot of fun with that one. We just put out our first episode um, up on YouTube, and that's been a lot of fun. And then we recorded a second episode. I learned more about crosses. I think than I ever expected to, even having been raised Catholic. Um, so, but that's been a lot of fun to kind of like think about this video game space that clearly has a lot of history, like in world storytelling behind it, and think about it like, what if this was a real space, and how do people use this, and what does it mean when you have to take a fifty foot ladder to cross across to the next section of town where you might want to buy bread? Sounds like hell. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Jimmy, you sure are creating some content. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, final question. How can people uh, follow all of this amazing uh, stuff? <laughs> well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Genetic Ghost, um, where I like I have every like I things linked there. Like I retweet all my comics XF stuff um, every time. Every time, every time Vice is updated, you can go read it. Um, it's all it's all there. Um, you can find me there. You can find the podcast that we do. Um, at Except Match if Club you're Club. Kenny Omega, please don't read our 
Miami Vices if you're Kenny Omega <laughs> or oh. any wrestler. You shouldn't read about your own yeah, you IP. No, no, no. Um, fun story after the podcast is over um, about that. You can find me there and everything I do on that Twitter account. And of course, Match Club Pod for episodes of Match Club. Mikey. You can find me on Twitter at quantum dot dot. Um, I also have a website of various works that definitely needs to be updated. Um, but in its current form, it is at quantum dot dot space. All right, Charlie, Mikey, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. This is my first time actually coming on. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is now part of ComicsXF, formerly Xavier Files, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club Podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember to spay and neuter your good night and good luck. W-N-Q-A.